electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer. David Faber has the morning off. Futures are weak as stocks eye Speaker Pelosi's arrival in Taiwan this morning and all the saber rattling. Big morning of corporate results. JetBlue, Marriott, DuPont. Yields continue to fall. Ten year now below 255, nearly a full point off the June 14th high. Our roadmap begins with simmering U.S.-China tensions, spooking stocks, looking at a lower open ahead of the Speaker's expected trip to Taiwan today. Cats quarterly headwinds hurt by supply chain and elevated costs. We're going to check in with Jim Mumpleby exclusively this hour. And Uber notching a second straight quarterly loss. Dara Khosrowshahi will join us with some pretty good numbers on bookings at least. And watch pins today as well, surging ahead of the open. We're going to start with the markets though, as the street monitors developments surrounding the speaker's planned visit to Taiwan. Uh, Jim, everyone's trying to track the plane, uh, but the arrivals expected about an hour after the open. They should be uh, uh, tracking the tanks that are right on the other side of the strait. And uh, the massing of tanks by the Chinese, obviously you can't just take a tank through the straits, but the, the Chinese are uh, certainly preparing for something very big. Now, this again could be all brinksmanship, but I can understand when the market's down. It's certainly uh, not anything that is being that the Chinese are taking lightly. We are making a statement to the Chinese. We're not gonna let you do these flyovers anymore. And I think that the problem with that is, is that after we leave, do they just, after Nancy Pelosi leaves, does the market go back up and they start doing what they were doing before? So uh, it's something to watch. I think the administration is trying to say, listen, we're not going to let what happened to Ukraine happen to Taiwan. In the meantime, we're going to come up with a backup system to be able to build uh, chips here. So it's all of a piece. I wish it were presented more coherently by the administration, but uh, I had Secretary Armando on yesterday, and she made it very clear that uh, we have to we have to divorce ourselves from Taiwan in terms of pr- production of key semiconductors. Right. I mean, there's there's two schools of thought. One is to assert, assert yourself in that part of the world. The other is just to keep it calm because we've got so much going on in Europe, in Eastern Europe. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we're we're ready for two front warrior. Uh, I think that what's happened is, is that there's a sense among uh, our enemies, so to speak. And I like to call them that now, no longer just like our co-op, co-op or cooperating friends, because they're not, right. uh, that they, they are all, uh, after Afghanistan, all looking to test us. Um, not unlike when we lost the Vietnam War, when they, everybody wanted to test us, uh, when the Soviets wanted to test us. And I think that the president's actions are all about saying, we will be tested and we will succeed. We will kill people who uh, were involved with the uh, World Trade Center. And we, were, we are ready to take on all comers. Now, the problem with that is, is that it's out of nowhere that they suddenly reveal a strategy. It's the same thing like when Jake Sullivan is running the war, our war response in Ukraine. It's not the Pentagon. And so everyone's kind of mystified about who's really running all this stuff. Is it Nancy Pelosi? I mean, how did this stuff come about? 
and Biden's not been clear. So I think the reason, one of the reasons why the market's down is we don't know what their goal is. Right. Uh, J.P. Morgan's note this morning out of the desk was uh, she arrives around 1020 Eastern. If there's no immediate reaction, expect to see a rip higher. Would you go? I mean, is that something you think is reasonable to expect? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't like this kind of thing because we can't we're making a judgment. I mean, I'm looking at the ten, the tenure is saying that we're in trouble. That's what I think. Uh, but I also feel I mean, the tenure was at three, you know, as you said, 348, 348 on June 14th. And the finally interest rates keep going lower, signifying recession, signifying the end of inflation. The analysts almost entirely uh, that I check. And of course, and we just heard um, Pershing Square was a few. I mean, he's, <laughs> Plus, you got you got the Australians hiking 50 uh, overnight, uh, look, fourth uh, month in a row. Everything's going down. Every every commodity's going down, and like Bill Ackman did not mention that. I don't want to single out Bill. That's why I said I mean, just he was not here to talk about that, but obviously. Right. But it, every commodity's going down, and yet no one seems to acknowledge that every commodity's going down. Like I just cannot believe. I mean, last night I had the CEO of Agco one. And he said, every commodity is going down. It just takes a little time for it to get through. And by the way, and those who think that we keep hearing that food's intractable, food's down a lot. It's just the, it's the supply chain. And he said, if the supply chain gets better uh, and the price of, of liner board or glass gets better, sure. then you're going to see food go down. Now, we keep hearing food's intractable. Untrue. We keep hearing oil's intractable. Well, seven straight week that, that gasoline's down. I mean, when do people realize that it's going Jay's way. And yet all these people come on. It's like it's like they're oblivious to look at the price of the commodities. Yeah. Look at the price of aluminum. I mean, aluminum is 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 very important. Look at the price. We're going to talk to Caterpillar. They have not been able to be proven that they're paying more and they be able to pass through. Yes, a lot of people are able to pass through things. But at the same time, how many times do we have to read the consumer might be trained down? Oil's down again. I mean, oil's down. Now, uh, my best people... Uh, who called the top in oil are saying I'm too bullish in oil. And then I look at um, you couldn't have a better number than BP and it's barely up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Newton last night, good technician, uh, said now the conversation is about support in the mid 80s. Maybe strong support at 82 and change. Yesterday, I thought that 90. Uh, I went to Carly Garner, who is my technician, who said this thing could go lower. And she said now it's 85, 80. It's a moving target. But it doesn't seem to matter to the people who've decided that inflation is intractable. Now, we're going to have a number on Friday that I think is going to show strong. That was your good point last night. Your good point last night was if you get a robust number on employment and wages, then that's going to offset a lot of this. Then stuff. July comes back. Right. But I, I beg people to look at the actual underlying pieces that go into uh, the producer price because they're down so much. That it, it's, I mean, I remember when the FT made fun of me when I, when I called the top in inflation, which, by the way, was actually to the day. <laughs> and sometimes I like to point that out because I'm so heavily criticized <laughs> that when you get it to the day, you know, that's, that's DiMaggio, DiMaggio-like. And I just say, like, what, are you kidding me? Like, do you not look at anything? Uh, you got gas prices now down 47 straight days. We're at 416, 20 states with a sub-4 average. Um, at this rate, Gas Buddy says that the national average, Jim, probably goes sub-4 in about 10 days. When we were going up, it was catastrophic. When we go down, nothing. When copper's down 19% for the year, nothing. When aluminum's down 13% for the year, nothing. It just doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter to these people. 
It doesn't seem to matter that, that, the, that all the food stuff has been coming down rather radically. And oil is coming down. But it doesn't matter because inflation's intractable. All right, so if inflation's intractable but everything's going down, then what's intractable? I mean, what? <laughs> I beg you. Well, okay. some, some would uh, argue. Nickel. Uh, others, nickel. Others would argue shelter, right? We talked about the dynamics of housing. We just had rental numbers yesterday that were, that were better. I mean, we know that housing's peak. Look, the companies that make houses are not denying that there's going to be a peak. Now, mortgage rates are going to go down, so maybe that reignites the market. And some, but, but I mean, you know, like corn, which is a basic food stuff, has come down very big. I mean, Agco is talking about how, I mean, they're one of the large, they're, they're like deer. They're saying, look, all the grain complex is down, but we're still going to do well. But the, the inflationistas, they, they only acknowledge the fact that he might still do well. Because he can put through price increases because he's passed the pass on steel. Agco CEO is a very good guy. I just, I don't know. When you actually look at the things that make it up, Mr. Hans is right, the Agco CEO. He's so, saying inflation peaked. So, so uh, yesterday, J.P. Morgan, Kalanovic, uh, says you've had the second biggest re-rating of the S&P in terms of multiple in 30 years. Um, you're getting the relief on on CPI. We saw ISM prices paid. Yes. Do you think things? I mean, things are things are weaker uh, at this point. Your risk appetite has to go up into in the second half. I think so. I mean, look, I I wages are the last key. Okay, now wages could be the last the last thing that goes down. I mean, we we have layoffs coming. I mean, when you stop hiring, the next thing you hear is layoffs. You don't hear, hey, I'm rehiring. Uh, we know, I mean, for instance, Oracle now, we hear there, there could be very big layoffs. We know that uh, almost every company in the, in the, uh, the Titan computing businesses, uh, J3, I have, I have ANET on tonight, which is Arista, and these companies are not, J3 will, will tell us that while business is good, they're not hiring a ton of people, the, the Titans, the cloud Titans, as right. she calls them. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that we've got it backward. I, look, if all those numbers were going up the way they were in November, then I would have thought there could be runaway inflation. But every commodity is pointed down, and China's not buying. Uh, Europe is getting progressively weaker. They will not be using nearly as much power, nearly as much steel. And by the way, semiconductors are coming down in price rather radically. So the people, I think it's up, the onus is on the people who say we have runaway inflation to tell us where that is. Mm-hmm. Where is it? Right. Well, I mean, yes, restaurants are up, but they're going to come down. Right. Or, they're gonna, or you're going to go to the cheaper one. Well, to all of this leads us to some of the big interviews we've got this hour. We're going to talk to Kat. They did talk about operating margins improving in the back half because their own price hikes are exceeding their own cost Well, hikes. oh, so the price hikes are all going to stick? Do you know, at a certain point, Anyone who's been in these cycles know, like I've been, I remember when liner board, they try to put through a price increase and it doesn't sell. Okay, not everything sells when business is weak. Now, I like Jim. I want to hear why he feels that confident that people will continue to buy their merchandise, mm-hmm. particularly with a strong dollar. But again, I do not buy the notion that everything is going up in price. I just don't. It's not sticking. People seem to not understand that you keep raising price and eventually the consumer says, I can't do it. 
and eventually the enterprise says they can't do it. Well, the problem is that that, what you're describing, will flow through manufacturing and goods first. Absolutely. It, it'll take a while. For oh, no, to get I think you're going to hear it. I have GXO on tonight, which is a company that's ringing the bell. It's a logistics company. I mean, I, I can't imagine they're going to sell us a business that's accelerating. Prologis uh, did say that business was good. That's the largest warehouse chain. Uh, but when I look at uh, Amazon laying off 100,000, well, I, would it shock me if they laid off another 100,000? They added hundreds of thousands of people and got it wrong. Uh, you, you know, let's not forget that Shopify added a huge number of people and got it wrong. Uh, I can start seeing mergers. I mean, I don't know anyone who read the Pinterest call. You just It's seething with the idea that Pinterest is going to merge with PayPal, who's about to report. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mergers are going to call uh, to question how many people really needed it at these companies. So, I, look, I, I am absolutely perfectly willing to listen to the fact that wages might be going higher. And if you go to a restaurant, it may be more expensive. But there's an amazing thing I discovered about the restaurant business. Business haven't been in it. If you're too expensive, I don't go. <laughs> it's shocking. Now, you take that beer to nine, they find someone who who has it for eight. There is a magic you, number. Yeah, you take it to 10, and they use Uber to bring it to you. I mean, I don't know what people, look, I unfortunately, unfortunately, have run a lot of businesses. When you take your hotel prices up too much, amazing, your hotel's empty, okay? When you take your food prices too high and your avocado too high, incredible, your seats are empty. Do people just feel like, oh, wait, I, I'll just raise my price and everything's fine? It hasn't have, happened, are they running businesses? Hasn't happened to Marriott yet. Revpar above pre-pandemic I was in surprised. June. Yeah. But, you know, all I can say is you have to have fewer chefs. Fewer chefs. Fewer chefs. Or, or the dishwasher. Maybe you do the dishwashing. <laughs> I've done them. I was, a, I, I was a waiter once, and my father, I had to stay late. And Mr. Fox made me wash dishes. My father came in and said, you're fired. You're not a dishwasher. And I was like, Dad, it's not that much of a gradation. <laughs> anyway, look, I just, I just think in the didn't want to put a little levity in there because, boy, it was the last hour really heavy. But I just feel like, you know, guys, a lot of things are going the way of the people who, if you're Jay Powell, who's not the least bit smug, I think you're listening to the commentators and saying, I wish they would look at what makes up BPI. Right. I mean, you know, yes, used cars have not come down a lot. But when you get the semiconductors that are not going to be used in Europe and they're going to come here, then you're going to see a flood of cars. Then you're going to have an inventory glut of cars. I know it's impossible to believe. I know people don't think it's possible. I've seen it over and over again. I remember when GM, I mean, Bethlehem Steel earned 12 bucks and then it lost two bucks. I mean, people don't understand what can happen to an economy. It can go down so fast. They, they have not repealed the inventory cycle yet. No. Not yet. And, you know, it's a funny thing. You know, steak? You can make it so you have frickadellin. Anybody who's poor knows what frickadellin is. When we come back, uh, Jim mentions pins. We're going to get to that surging this morning. We'll, of course, talk to the CEOs of Uber and Caterpillar. We'll get to Marriott and DuPont and Cummins. Little bank M&A today as well. Oh, yeah. Futures off the lows. We're back in a moment. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. 
You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Shares of Pinterest going to surge uh, at the open. Elliott Investment Management confirming it is the social media company's largest shareholder. The activist investor saying the business has, quote, significant potential for growth. Also better than expected user numbers despite a quarterly miss. Jim, uh, MAU's down five, not as bad as expected. No, uh, look, I think that the theme of the whole conference call is, is that you brought in someone from PayPal, all right? And uh, what's happened is, is that a lot of people feel that this is a logical candidate to merge with PayPal. Remember that you've got Elliot in there, you've got Elliot here. Uh, when you go through uh, Bill Reddy's background, he was about technology and payments. When you go through the conference call, it's very clear, listen, if they could monetize the 433 million people, it would be done more than just advertising. It would be done, like when you go to the site, it's like you just go elsewhere to buy. And so you bring in Bill, and then who handled this stuff for PayPal, and it's a natural, you'll buy the stuff. I mean, right now, it's it's a quiet, nice site, and it never got, there's kind of veiled references to Twitter, that we're a sweet and kind site. Uh, but I would say that the combination would be very powerful. I do not think, obviously, Dan Shulman wants it. He took a look at it. Yeah. Well, of course, going back to Silberman's IPO day, we always said companies not that promotional. Right. That's been the knock on them, for better or worse. I I interviewed them many times. And one of the reasons I've liked them, other than the fact that he's from Nebraska, is that they were not trying to uh, hook you in in a salacious way. Uh, You know, Twitter, a lot of people come in because they want to see combat. There's no combat on Pinterest whatsoever. (laughs) It's just kind people. You know, it's just nice and kind people good people. Yes. It's like the world, if the world were inhabited by everyone who's on Pinterest, there would be no more <laughs> war. Well, so what do you make of um, of Einhorn there and uh, and Elliot, I'm sorry, Einhorn Twitter and, and uh, Elliot at Pins? What, what do you think is going to be the more powerful partnership? Uh, I think that this pin is the real deal. Yeah. I mean, I just, you can't, okay, they've underinvested they have a huge amount of cash, a gigantic amount of cash. They can turn on the cash to do international, which they are very slight on, and yet it works very well. Then you have the monthly average users go up because of international, and then, you, 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 um, it, 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 then you've got it. I, by the way, feel and have said that Einhorn will be forced to buy Twitter because it's— uh, Musk, but, you mean? I'm sorry, the Musk will go— because specific performance— is it's a contract in Delaware. Now, most of the lawyers I speak to do not believe this, which is, but the ones who have practiced in Delaware and have made it their career say it's open and shut. That she is going to say, that the chancellor is going to say, look, a contract's a contract, pay it. Now, pay it or we'll seize the capital. I mean, there's a lot of people who say, well, listen, he doesn't have the financing place. The, the chancellor just say, listen, we'll take it. We'll just take it from you. Right. Now, someone was saying that they'll put him in jail, completely wrong. They'll just take the money. And if he doesn't have the money, well, she'll say, well, look, your stock price is X, and you own this many shares. We'll take it. What he ought to do, and I think that they, the chancellor might say before that, is get in a room, figure out a real price. 
Fear better push. They've done that. Well, now we're we're sort of operating with a lot of uh, opacity regarding Musk's countermeasures, and now the- this discovery uh, that's been reported on the part of Twitter probing into Musk's social circles. Well, I mean, I just think that that was brutal. I mean, they picked a bunch of guys here. I mean, if you one of the things I, I've learned this, like one time a friend of mine was subpoenaed because of something I was involved in, and he said like. What did you get me into? I said, I didn't get you into anything. He said, no, no, I need to know. What am, why am I involved with this? I mean, that's, now these guys are supposed to be of his circle, but you never went, I mean, I, unfortunately, I've been subpoenaed a great deal of time. It, it is, it's, it's very big. Un- unpleasant. Yeah, because maybe in there is an email which just says, what a joke Twitter is, Musk, to Jason Calcanis. And Calcanis says back and says, yeah, you obviously don't mean to buy it. Uh, and then he comes back to Musk and says, no, I intend to buy it. So, you know, the, what you're doing is you're trying to get emails that trap Musk. Now, whereas, remember, Musk needs to find an email in Twitter which just says, we showed him fi- that 5% of the users were phony. It's really 20. They will not find that because it's not. Unless Ned Siegel is a, a mole. And he's not. You know, where he's a double agent for right, Musk, right, and he's right. got actually saying it's 25 in that boat. The board of Twitter, once that thing sold so badly, I have no idea what Musk is talking about. And now when they're picking on his friends, that's like pulling the fly, pulling the wings off of flies. Man, can you imagine? You're like, every email of those guys could be, do you think that would, don't you think there's some email in there where it just says, they're a bunch of idiots, can't you make them I better? Mean, Lons- and Musk says, Lonsdale says, you know, I had a couple of snarky comments. Uh, well, we're going to find out more. I want to get- see everything. And then it really proves you should never, you know, David Faber always just says yes or no in his emails. It's horrible to get an email, David. It's like, why? <laughs> you know, letter Y, letter N. Even if you ask him if he went swimming this morning, you'll say, why? Yes, yes. Uh, not his first rodeo. These, but these guys have, I think they're going to learn in the next few weeks that it was bad to joke about Twitter with October is just around the corner. Uh, still to come this morning, as we said, a CEO doubleheader. You don't want to miss Caterpillar's Jim Umpleby and Uber's Dara Kosmashagi, both after the opening bell. Take a look at the pre-market here as we uh, are about seven minutes away from the opening bell. Don't go anywhere. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Jim had a conversation with the guys on Squawk this morning about the payment processors, specifically Visa, but we right. have got some more on well, the industry. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a, an assumption that MasterCard's doing the same thing. By the way, Ben Silverman's from Iowa. And so I got uh, Michael Meebach, uh, and he's the CEO of MasterCard. And he goes, first of all, thanks for reaching out. We take this seriously and acted immediately to implement new standards for adult content merchants. We also work closely with law enforcement and organizations to monitor, detect, and prevent illegal transactions. We have zero tolerance for illegal activity on the network, and we continue to act swiftly when we discover such activity. 
The use of our cards at Pornhub was terminated in December 2020. There is no change in that status. So it's entirely different from what we heard. I know it's hard to hear, and I know these people are, are covering, and it's a great joyous day for them. I have them on. But there's a very, very serious charge that have been levied, and I wanted to clear up at least the massacre. That's good. We continue to await more specific comments from Visa itself. There's the opening bell, of course, in the CNBC real-time exchange. And the big board, as Jim said, global logistics company GXO. First anniversary of the listing, and you have them on tonight. Yes, and I gotta know. I mean, some, the, some of the freight forwarders are telling me that business has slowed dramatically. Okay, some have said that to me. Again, that would be in keeping with my analysis of business going slower, which is taking off the, uh, the pressure and inflation. So we've got a lot to ask him. It is the largest one. Oh. All right. Oh, okay, oh, well, we've gotten, we've all gotten familiar, Jim, with supply chain. By the way, the price of a 40-foot container from Shanghai to LA is now down 30 plus year on year. But, down and the 30 plus. Baltic freight is down. Baltic freight's get, back to the long-term right. mean. So again, the, I say the onus is on all the people who come on and say we got to go to four percent and things are terrible and it's rampant inflation when they do not know the facts and the facts are just not on their side. They're not. By the way, guys, uh, at the NASDAQ today, audit and tax advisory firm KPMG are ringing the bell in honor of its 125th anniversary. We had Mike's, Michael Sievers sit right there, T-Mobile. From T-Mobile. Uh, and Verizon and ATT are not raising prices. You know, that's because they are worried. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I'm saying T-Mobile's not raising prices. T-Mobile. You, you can be with Verizon and ATT or you can go to T-Mobile, Right. And you can lower your bill. Right. Well, I mean, that, that, that's factored in. Now, the Mannheim index for uh, used cars is not showing any decline. And I had Stephen Sherwin last night from Hertz. There, the pricing is steady. But that has to do with semiconductors. It's all semiconductors. Yeah, it was a great interview last night with Hertz. He talked about it being a risk business. And although you could have 12 to 14 million new sold, you can hear used markets still 80 million. Look, I mean, Steve Scherer is the CFO of Goldman, but of course, that's a trading house. And he just said, listen, the whole model of of these used cars, now I have Avis report a good number, whole model of the used cars is wrong. What you want to do is trade them. And there's a very liquid market. He trades with Carvana. Someone said today that Carvana is doing better than expected. I don't know. They'll report pretty soon. But uh, Scherer is crushing it with a business that was dead. Yeah. Take a listen to what Scher told uh, Jim last night. What's happening with the electric vehicle, and, and this is a first mover edge for us, is that we're deploying them through three customer channels. Obviously, the leisure customer is looking to get it. And by the way, no better way to test an electric vehicle than to rent one from Hertz. Speaking of the uh, leisure traveler, uh, Marriott 180 beats 156, Jim, revenue ahead. People still traveling. Look, the service is better than the goods. The goods are the ones that increase in price. Service can be avoided. You don't have to go away, which is why I think that there could have been a big blip up after we were free from COVID, and then it comes down. Uh, We'll have Airbnb tonight on Mad Money. That will be the secret to the puzzle because a lot of people have gotten away from true brick and mortar, traditional hotel. Uh, but at the same time, we have Uber, which seems to indicate the other side. So there's enough mix. But Brian, Brian is, again, he's kept down inflation. We have to start realizing that some of these technologists have kept down inflation. You know, 
we have built me terminal and received service now. That is an anti-inflation company. But it's all, we all seem to forget that technology is working to cut inflation. I don't know. I'm a little down about this because I can't seem to get it across that we should look at the facts. Well, the, the, the bond market clearly agrees with you. And why are you so upset? Well, because like you know, we have all these things. Got to take it to four and it's intractable. And but, but there are big people out there who either want the market down because they don't have the exposure or they simply have made up their minds ideologically that we have runaway inflation. Ideologically. Well, to your point on that, uh, City today says all short positions are now offside. And average losses are large, which would lead to a, which could lead to a sizable amount of forced um, unwinds, further upside support. Do you think we're in a short squeeze, or will be soon? Yes, I think it's very reasonable. I think there's large short positions in many of the companies that come on mad money, and I'm always surprised. I I had not been looking at short positions, and now I look at it all the time. And it's always 12, 13, 15 percent. Because and, July was so painful for yes, them. Yes, yes, and these guys just basically said, "Don't worry, pals, pals, a joke." Powell's too late. But, you know, Powell is a very serious, very serious guy. Those of us who've known him for a long time are like, do they really think he fell off a turnip truck or any kind of truck? An onion truck? I don't know. We'll ask Darrow what kind of truck they think <laughs> Jay Powell fell off of. But he did not. He, the one thing he has not done is, 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 has, is a bad job. There's a lot. We have 3.6% unemployment. Since when is that bad? Unless you're a rich son of a, unless you're a rich person who, who has no tolerance for poor people getting jobs. Well, we I mean, DoorDash, there's people you know, 6% short on that guy. I yeah. mean, he's a good guy. He reports tonight, 6% short. I'm sorry, Darryl, you look great. I, mean, I haven't seen you in a little bit. But we are going to talk to Dar short. in a moment. Really quick, though, on mobility, Jim, some of it's being driven by return to work. And SPG had a Turned into pretty good. Oh quarter. my! They did a big, a big buyback. You know, this is David Simon, the so-called meanest person on earth, and they did a nice uh, increase in the distribution. I, I have uh, Don Wood on at the end of the week, which is Federal Realty. So you get shopping mall and then shopping center. Shopping mall from Simon. Everybody in the mall is doing poorly. Except for David Simon, yep. who's in the, who yep. is the he mall. He said retailers are doubling down. By the way, He's page, fabulous. page one of the Times today has a whole story about cities where return to work. One, where remote work is basically, there's a quote from one worker saying, everybody I know is basically in the office. Oh, I've been with a lot of people in the last two weeks who just said, look, now it's come in or go to another place. No more stay at home because we're all vaccinated. And, you know, it's now, remember, we had, I had Humana on, which is the second largest, well, one of the largest for it. And they said that it's not as bad as the flu. In, their, in terms of hospitalizations. Right. So, I mean, you know, look, let's, if we have a big bout of flu, are you going to stay home? No. Wow, the flu's really raging. I'm out of here. Right. No, you're coming to work. Right. Well, I mean, some Hurts. argue, look at what the president was able to accomplish in isolation between the CHIPS Act, Zawahiri. Look, and Hertz is saying that the, that the companies are coming back. I mean, Hertz has really been hurt. Very exciting. Very exciting we have here. <laughs> because... Here's a man who made certain promises and completely delivered on them. Uber shares are surging after a strong quarter. So, now I'm reading this. I don't have to read this. The growth is up 105%. Cash flow is now positive. Derek Otsashari, you are a miracle worker. You said that the goalposts had moved in a May letter and, I, and, and that you needed to show that you were making money. And, and I, I said, this is one guy who will do it. How's he do it? Well, listen, I, I will say that it wasn't just the May uh, letter. This is the, it's a bunch of work that we've done over the past couple of years. I mean, the May letter for us 
was symbolic in saying, hey, this is real, we're going to drive profitability. And you've seen the results, right? Which is the top line is strong, $29.1 billion in terms of gross bookings up 36% constant currency, uh, EBITDA $364 million, well above our guidance range. It's 800 million better than what it was last year. And then of course, show me the money, free cash flow for the first time ever, 382 million in free cash flow. So it was a really, really strong quarter. But what's important to me is it was a strong quarter, both top line and bottom line. Right, now I thought what was interesting is, is that there's a big, lots of changes in the industry. Um, your delivery business, great. The number of people who want to be drivers, great. The, the uh, EVs, great. I mean, you've just checked box after box after box that a lot of people doubted that you, and I know your team could do. Uh, this is a rather quick turn. So was the underlying business always great, or did everything start going your way at the same time you said, you know what, we gotta, we, we got to start doing a cash flow? I think we've always been the leader in our category. Now, you talk about the economic weakness, and there's a lot of talk there, but there has been a shift from spend on retail to spend on services, right? And we are the ultimate service company, and the world is reopening. Our mobility business is hitting it out of the park, not only in terms of top line and bottom line, but also in terms of competitive position. And in a market where more capital discipline is needed, you know, we think that accrues to the biggest player, to the biggest brands, Uber, we're the most diversified, we're an all-weather company. If a market's closed, then delivery does great. When the market opens up, the Uber mobility does great as well. So this is actually, in a funny way, a capital-disciplined marketplace is the perfect market for Uber to compete in. What's going on with uh, driver supply? Right? Your courier base is all-time high. Yes. It seems like the other day, all we talked about was shortage of drivers, winds autonomous eventually coming to rescue us from this conundrum, this, this crucible. Well, it's still, we're still working very, very hard in terms of our driver supply. And there are three elements that we've worked on. One is driver onboarding. Make it easier for drivers to come on board. And one of the structural advantages that we have is you can come on to deliver for Eats. It's a lot easier and quicker. Then we'll graduate you over to mobility. And the money that you can make in mobility right now, it's uh, $37 an hour in the U.S. for drivers who are driving for mobility. So it's substantial. The second is work on the experience. Once you're on the platform, you're earning well. How's the experience? Our customer service is better. We've just innovated on showing upfront destination. You know where you're going. You know the price that you're getting. That was the number one complaint that drivers had. And we've innovated and responded as well. And then, of course, the earnings help in this environment as well. Where do you think they're coming from? Are they already employed? Uh, did they, are they... Did they, are they coming off of a job or how is, where do you think the supply is feeding from? So we have five million earners on our platform. So they come from all walks of life. Some of them have another job. Some of them are returning to the workforce as well. One constant factor that we see is that 72% of our drivers say that inflation and being able to pay for your groceries or being able to pay for your kids' expenses, et cetera, played a part in their decision to come onto the platform. And we think having flexible, lucrative work uh, like Uber available, it's good for the economy. Now, when I go to my, my uh, app, which I go probably, I don't know, two or three times a day, because it's really terrific. You order a little lunch over here? I've done everything. I, I, liquor, lunch, it doesn't matter. Because I, I I'm just a huge aficionado, as many people are. Who, by the way, I have rarely seen a CEO more cheered for. We wanted you to win. Because we all use you, and we didn't want to run out of money. Meanwhile, you've got a huge amount of money. What can you do with it? Well, 
what's really important for us is get to get to investment grade, right? What, right. what the pandemic taught us is you've got to expect the unexpected, never get comfortable. And so a goal for us is to drive to investment grade. Positive free cash flow is a big step to getting to investment grade. Once we're at investment grade and we know that we can have access to capital in good markets or bad capitals, listen, uh, then we're going to look at shareholder returns. Ultimately, we're here for the shareholders. And, uh, you know, it's my opinion that the shares represent a great buying opportunity. I bought a bunch personally. And once we're, we have a rock solid balance sheet, uh, then we can look at capital returns that help shareholders one way or the other. Is, we talked a moment ago about return to work and, and office capacity. Do you think that's driving some of this? Or I, is that still iffy? In your I think view? the broad reopening is driving this. So it is when we look at use cases, going to the airport, going to work, going out at night, et cetera. It's just the reopening generally is happening. So the strength isn't coming from one sector or the other. When we look at markets, the East Coast markets in the US, for example, are much stronger than the West Coast markets. And the East Coast markets do happen to be return to work sure. markets. West Coast is a little slower in terms of return is, to work. Isn't Europe going to be behind on that front, do you think? Go Euro on. No, Europe is returning to work. The, the, the whole debate of like working from home in Europe is not as much of a thing. Sure. The European markets, the UK, France, et cetera, are incredibly strong. We're very optimistic about our business in Europe. How, how does that square with German retail sales collapsing, worries about war, electricity prices, macro worries in Europe? I think it goes to the shift from retail to services as well. And remember, our business, for example, in Germany, it's really young. Our business in Germany, Spain, there's a ton of growth uh, ahead of us, both in terms of geographic penetration, but then also new product penetration, getting taxi on Uber as well, hailables, two-wheelers, three-wheelers. So we think there's a ton of tailwinds for us. Where uh, are you versus DoorDash in pricing? Because I find you often off the mark and often later than DoorDash. We are competitive with DoorDash. If you look at our category position and share in the U.S. against DoorDash and in the U.S. market overall, it's flat. Really what we're looking to drive is drive Uber One membership program. We have 10 million uh, Uber One members as well. And with the Uber One membership, you get a discount on your delivery fee and that helps combat some of the inflation that we see out there. But we're absolutely competitive with the market. Okay, so there are Obviously, there's a huge debate on that inflation is hurting the middle class. We know that. Do you see any downward pressure now that some of the commodities are coming down? But there's some good news here. You know, we're, we're looking to see if inflation is having any kind of effect on the business. Are our food customers trading down? Are they eating cheaper kind of food? Zero evidence of that. Uh, is a a black Uber rider who likes riding Uber Black, trading down to Uber X. Zero evidence of trade down uh, at this point. So we're watching it very closely. The most uh, obvious effect of inflation seems to be to get more drivers onto the platform at this, at this point for us. Well, because I think that when you first started, everyone was trying to grab an extra shift. There was a big extra shift problem. And it was always, you, you could never, you could, you could get people. I used to get inundated by people at my restaurant, sit at the end of the bar, like, can I have a job, can I have a job? And then, of course, I ended up having to pay fortunes for dishwashers. Are we going to get back to where there'd be people who are saying, I need a job, I need extra money, extra money? Because that would be the sign that wages have peaked. You know, we are, I believe that demand for blue collar labor is going to continue to increase. Now, I think that demand for technical labor, you're seeing it in uh, a bunch of tech companies out there, 
hiring freezes, some of them layoffs, et cetera. So I think you're going to see the effect on the labor force. First in white collar work. Right now, blue collar work, it's strong. Right. You know, like the, the driver flow, inflow for us is very strong, but earnings are great. The experience is terrific as well. And what we have to get ready for, September is back to school and demand on mobility is gonna skyrocket and we are preparing ourselves for a very, very big September. Well, Darren, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, again, I reiterate that that we just pull for you. I mean, look, I, it's a business show, but certain people really like Thank you. Well, I, I get to talk about the good stuff, but there are tens of thousands of employees who are doing the real work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Right, thank thanks. you. Still to come this morning, an exclusive with Caterpillar's Jim Umpleby. First, though, a check on the bond report. We did mention 10-year crack below 255 today uh, as we are going to get a little bit of Fed speak today. I think Evan's around earlier this morning. Evan spoke. There it is, uh, 2.6 on the 10-year note, and the Dow's down 243. Don't go away. Caterpillar shares falling. Second quarter did beat the earnings estimate. You know, I was looking at the numbers. I said, well, when we hear the commentary, otherwise it was good. But we got to figure out what's going on because the stock is down nine. Joining us now exclusively, Caterpillar CEO Jim Umpleby. Jim, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Good morning, Jim. Great to be here with you and Carl today. All right. So, Jim, it's obviously mixed because I'm reading your conference call. It's not like you're in denial about that. You say the quarter sales were broadly in line, uh, but the margins came in slightly lower than expectations. Let's talk about that because, I, I, you know, I'm a huge believer in your ability to be able to make the margins go up with not having a lot more sales. This did not seem to go that way. Well, well thank you, Jim. First, I'm very proud of the Caterpillar team. They delivered double-digit growth in both sales and adjusted profit per share in a challenging operating environment with uh, inflationary pressures and more significantly supply chain constraints. So again, we had some mixed issues in the quarter. Uh, Again, as we look forward for the balance of the year, we do anticipate improving margins uh, on a comparative basis and sequentially as well as we look forward to the rest of the year for a whole variety of reasons. One is uh, price realization and increased volume. Well, I think that's good, but again, I want to go over the sales to users uh, in construction industries decreased 4%. Uh, that's largely because of China. Resources decreased 2%. Uh, energy and transportation flat, even though oil went up big in price. So, uh, yes, the future could be brighter, but shouldn't some of these at the moment be doing better? One of those, at least. Well, sales to users in construction industries was impacted, as you mentioned, by China. It was also impacted by supply supply chain constraints. Resource industries, we had some commissioning delays, which impacted uh, revenue recognition, which had an impact on sales to users. And energy and transportation tends to be a year-end loaded business. And as you know, the market dynamics in oil and gas were a bit different than they were for our machine business. And so as is, is typically the case, we expect increasing sales for energy and transportation towards the end of the year, stronger third and fourth. Um, the good news is that demand remains strong across most of our end markets. As you know, CAT's a, a diverse business. We serve a whole variety of different markets around the world, uh, different applications, different products. Uh, but at a macro level, demand remains strong. Uh, the issue we have is supply chain constraints. How quickly do you think that is rolling off? Jim, uh, Jim and I were just talking about uh, some of the, the freight issues that have been ameliorated. Uh, it, it seems much more quickly than, than some expected, Jim. Is that going to be a, a, by the end of 23, do you think a lot of that's going to be resolved? 
The primary issue we have with supply chain constraints is the ability of our suppliers to produce more products. They're dealing with a whole variety of issues. Some of their suppliers have problems. Uh, they're dealing with labor availability issues. So really it's not uh, the supply chain constraints are not primarily freight related. They're more related to our supplier's ability to produce new components. And I'm not gonna predict when this is going to get better. There's been lots of predictions over the last couple of years uh, post pandemic as to when the supply chain conditions would ease. In our business, we have not yet seen uh, a market improvement in the supply chain. Jim, there is a huge backlog, a $2 billion backlog in the quarter led by energy transportation, which makes me believe why the stocks would buy, obviously, other than the fact that you bought a ton this quarter. But your cat, why? Can explain to me the way it works. Why can't the cat CEO call the people in the supply chain and say, we're Caterpillar, there's nobody bigger than us. If you want to do business in the future when it's easier, you give us what we need now. You're, you're, Jim, you have that leverage, don't you? Well, Jim, I wish I had that kind of power, but unfortunately I don't. We certainly value our suppliers. We're working very closely with them. But again, many of our suppliers have issues with their suppliers who have issues with their suppliers. So again, you know, we're <laughs> learning a lot more about our tier two and tier three suppliers than we ever have in the past. Uh, you know, I believe that certainly this, this, the experience of the last couple of years has taught us all the importance of supply chain resiliency, of doing things a bit differently. But uh, no, Jim, I wish I had that kind of power, but I'm afraid I don't. Fair enough. Now, you do say residential and non-residential demand remain healthy, although we saw some moderation in residential. You know, a lot of us are trying to figure out whether uh, Jay Powell is going to be able to get inflation under control, and we're very worried about residential. Can you describe to me what that weakness is? Yeah, so residential uh, remains at a strong level, but but wouldn't be surprising if there's some moderation there, again, with rising inflation, rising interest rates. But as we think about non-residential, that continues to be very strong, and we're quite encouraged by the opportunities for non-residential due to the uh, infrastructure package that, that passed recently. We expect the impact of that package in talking to our customers to have an impact on our construction industry business in late 2022 and into 2023. So we're quite bullish about that. And of course, conditions in, in oil and gas are improving as well. We've seen a, a large increase in the backlog for oil and gas projects for our solar turbines, a lot of gas compression and, oil and other oil and gas production. And in our CAD oil and gas reciprocating engine business, we're seeing improvement there as well. And again, we have to work our way through getting those, pro- those, those, those products shipped. But again, we're, we're quite encouraged by what we see in oil and gas also. Jim, um, you know, we talk about China and Asia demand a lot, but there's still a host of worries regarding the macro in Europe. Uh, going forward, especially heading into the winter, not to mention uh, energy costs. Um, how, do, how do you describe the trajectory Europe's on right now, and, and what kind of outlook is your general sense over, say, the next six to 12 months? Uh, in Europe, in the second quarter, we did see a decline in construction industries in Europe. It was primarily driven by currency. Certainly, uh, business conditions are moderating a bit in Europe. We're keeping a close eye on that. Again, in Europe, there's an infrastructure package as well that passed that uh, we're hopeful will have a positive impact there. But again, certainly the situation in Europe is one that bears close watching. But again, on a macro level, when we step back and look at all of our markets added together, we see strong demand across the board at a a macro level. Again, our issue is supply chain and our ability to meet the strong demand that we have. And we did tell investors this morning during our call that our second quarter top line would have been higher than it was if not for supply chain constraints. You didn't. T- you use no excuse about dollar. I'm really proud of you. I mean, you could easily say, "Listen, the Japanese—they're declining. They're t- they're suppressing the yen. 
the Europeans expressing the euro. You didn't blame you didn't blame those guys. It's just about you and, and your production. It is. It really it really is about the supply chain and our ability to get more out of our suppliers. That is the issue. Demand remains strong. Well, that's it, you, everybody else blaming the dollar. It was a pleasure to listen to your call and didn't have to do that. Jim Umpleby, CEO of Caterpillar. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Carl. Absolutely. Good to have you. Uh, Cat is going to be the main drag on the Dow this morning. I know. And remember, it was up running into the quarter to yep. give Jim a little credit. It's, it, it does seem like it was a weak quarter, but it was supply chain. He made that point many times. How about tonight? Okay, so we have GXO, the, the people who were uh, the logistics company that was ringing the bell. We have, uh, well, look at this. We have Jay Shreelal, who is, I think, the rising star in the high-performance computing business. And Brian Chesky, let's find out whether the services are still on fire because we sure seem to hear all morning about it. Wouldn't it be interesting if he did better than Marriott? Would that be something? Yes. I think Marriott's that, a that's really, it. really good company. Plus, you'll have AMD and Starbucks to kick around. Oh, man. we're I, Look, I would love to just you and I. I mean, look, if I could do the show all day, I would, but then you wouldn't get any homework done, <laughs> so you're not we're reliable. How hard was it just to get Kat and Dara? I know. We got oh, them in. We got them in. Jim, we'll see you tonight. Absolutely. Uh, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Dow is down 300. We're back in a moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 